you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Well, howdy and Merry Christmas and best of the seasons to y'all. Did I just say a y'all? Canadians aren't supposed to do that. Well, best of the seasons to everybody, eh? Uh, welcome back once again to Prairie Justice, a Greg Saunders Vigilante podcast. And we're on episode 19 now. Uh, and today we're going to uh, review Action Comics 50 from 1942, spring of 1942. But we'll get into those exact details here a little later on. Um not much extra here to report. Uh, we, as I probably will apologize later on, and I probably don't think I should have to apologize, and thanks to Dave McElveney for bolstering me on this. Uh, it's just, it's been the fall from hell for me. And uh, I've only been able to get a, a couple of episodes out so far. I think I did one in, in October, and then, of course, the... Uh, the leading comics coverage which came out sporadically through September and uh, other than that uh, it's just kind of been one event after another and uh, a three-hour drive three times a week um, and personal ambitions you just don't feel like uh, doing the podcast some days Uh, but having said that I believe we have a really good story here for you today Probably a little bit of cut above the usual Golden Age story. We'll get into that a little bit later. And uh, a little visit, of course, once again to Greg Saunders' Rodeo Radio. And I don't know how much longer I'm going to continue the Rodeo Radio. And um, I think the music uh, cuts that I'm going to be doing, and I know some people have been enjoying that. Uh, We're getting into some dicey areas copyright wise i haven't had any letters or nasty emails from anyone yet but uh i expect that day is coming so we're probably going to slack off a little bit on that but we'll we'll do one last one um on this episode and with that i'm just going to send you off to listen to a a promo of one of one of our great uh, podcasting colleagues from the uh, comic podcasting genre And then we'll be back to discuss Action Comics number 50. Monthly, monthly, monthly! It's Action Film Face-Off! Hello, I'm Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, and I'd like to tell you about a podcast I do with my brother, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist. Action Film Face Off! Yes, thank you, Jared. Action Film Face Off is a podcast where my brother and I, who are both military combat vets... Jason was a Navy SEAL! Jason was not a Navy SEAL. Jason was a military intelligence wing. But anyway, in each episode of Action Film Face-Off, we select two different action films. Some of them have Chuck Norris. Technically speaking, none of them have had Chuck Norris yet, but it could happen because we use a randomizer set between 1970 and modern day to select our two films. So you'll always get two films, each from a different year. Our randomizer has spikes on it. 
We use a Google random number generator, so it does not have spikes on it. And we put the films into our video dome arena. It also has spikes. It does not have spikes. <laughs> but we discuss the films and score them through six different rounds of criteria. I score Bond films very high. Okay, that's true. But anyway, by the end of the episode, we crown one of the action films the champion of action film face-off. Next episode, Jason fights a bear. <laughs> Jason is not fighting a bear, but please give our show a listen. We're part of the Longbox Crusade Network of Shows. Pat Samson killed a man with a sword once. I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. But you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers under Longbox Crusade. Or you can subscribe to just our show by searching for Action Film Face-Off. Come see the blood fly! And that's Action Film Face-Off. We do, indeed, invite you to come and see The Blood Fly. I just said that. Okay, let's start in on Action Comics number 50, wherein our vigilante feature appears. This edition is published on May 20th of 1942, with a cover date of July 1942. And as I have said, it's Action Comics number 50, and that should tell you that this is probably an anniversary issue and probably something that would be celebrated on the cover or elsewhere in the comic. Guess what? It's not. Very interesting. Um, These days, I guess we're not really used to uh, comics anniversaries all of that much because uh, Marvel and DC and uh, other publishers seem to cancel their their comics and reignite their uh, their characters with a new edition seemingly seemingly annually and sometimes biannually now so uh, we've kind of gotten away from even caring about uh, you know counting the covers and uh, or counting the numbers of the issues and how long they last of course now of course action comics is the outlier of that because you'll say hey ranger gord just two or three years ago that we celebrated Action Comics number 1000. And that is true. Action Comics was the first uh, uh, comic edition, uh, though through a little bit of trickery through the New 52 and all of that, but uh, they did reignite themselves and get them uh, to that monumental point in time. Action Comics number 50 makes no attempt to uh, cover that milestone or the, the fact that this is the fourth year of publication for Action Comics since May of 1938. Now, when did we start um, caring about uh, anniversary editions? Well, I just looked as far as Action Comics was concerned and um, I just followed up into the 50s and the 100 editions and there was no celebration for Action Comics 100. 200 or 300 and in fact no celebration or acknowledgement of an anniversary issue until action comics number 400 and when does that occur 1971 march 30th 1971 to be exact that's the first time you've seen to see this uh a volume of action comics with the trade dress that says special 400th anniversary story and this information by the way is easily gleaned 
uh, through the uh, incredible research tool that is www.mikesamazingworld.com. Thank you very much, Mike. And if I have failed to acknowledge this in the past, well, <laughs> I'm definitely doing it now. So if anybody knows of any other anniversary editions, either at Marvel or DC or otherwise, that do acknowledge these uh, celebrations, let me know. And this is a surprise to me because I grew up with uh, seeing uh, 100, uh, 00 issues and 50th issues all being acknowledged and celebrated. So this is... Uh, it's uh, c kind of interesting that uh, Action Comics doesn't seem to be uh, self-aware of its own success here. Now this 10 cent monthly comic is coming to you from the uh, watchful eye of editor Whitney Ellsworth. And in this month of May 1942 in the world outside our newsstand we find that the Battle of the Coral Sea began on the May the 4th even as the Japanese were invading Burma. Uh, battles of Mad Madagascar and Corregidor in the Philippines have begun, and Filipino troops surrendered to the Japanese on May 6th. Uh, and the Philippines campaign ended in a decisive Japanese victory. And we know that General MacArthur has gone away to Australia in March and uh, will return. And, of course, we are just days away, although uh, most people didn't know it at the time, uh, from the Battle of Midway. And on May 14th, it was uh, cryptanalyst Joseph Roquefort that suspected that the Japanese were going to attack mid, try to attempt to take Midway Island. Uh, the Women's Auxiliary Corps, was the WACs, were created in the United States. Uh, the Subidor, uh, uh, sorry, try to try this again, Sobibor extermination camp became operational in Poland. And the Soviets were beginning to fight back in the guerrilla campaign known as the Defense of the Adzahumushke Quarry. And on the Eastern Front, a counteroffensive by the Germans is against uh, the Berefnikov salient. On May 20th itself, the United States Navy signed up its first African-American recruits. And May 22nd, we knew that War of the Axis was in trouble because Mexico declared war on Germany, Italy, and Japan. And we know that not one zero got past uh, Tijuana. And the United States is finding creative ways to pay for the war. And on uh, May 29th, the film Yankee Doodle Dandy starring James Cagney is released in New York City. And instead of tickets, Warner Brothers sold war bronze to the premiere, ranging from $25 to $25,000 in prices. And the war bond campaign is indicative even here on the cover of Action Comics number 50. An offset inset on the cover uh, has a small uh, tiny poster that says Superman says buy defense stamps, help national defense. And a drawing of Supes himself accompanying a, a U.S. sailor and uh, a soldier in dress uniform. And we'll see a lot of that wartime. Uh, promotion or propaganda as some may call it over the next few years throughout uh, the entire comics industry 
in the main action on the cover of the world's largest selling comic magazine, well, artist Fred Ray is showing you why it is the selling so well. As Superman himself is doing what I think I love to see Superman doing the best, and that is saving people's lives. We're in a mine of some sort, a coal mine, I would assume, and a shore timber has broken and is being held up by Superman uh, in, so that the, the miners in their lights who are uh, in the back with very terrified uh, looks on their faces uh, realize that uh, they're probably going to hopefully get out of this alive as, uh, as uh, refuse and, and rubble seem to fall from the ceiling onto their heads. Uh, most the, this this the coloring on this is really jumps out at you because uh, most of the action in the mine the miners themselves is uh, very uh, what you would call monochrome they're sort of in subdued grays blues and but Superman and the timber and the rubble that he's saving are in full color um, the Noteworthy, I think, is the for you Superman uh, fanatics out there is the look of the symbol. Um, we have the uh, I'm not going to call that a triangle anymore. It's more of an octagonal, and it's perfectly yellow. And the red S is very prominent. You know that's not an S. It's not looking like it's some sort of a cutout code. Um, you used to be when I was a kid. I was I would always see the negative space on that S and and could never really re make out the S. But uh, this one, uh, you're definitely looking at Golden Age Superman with that prominent uh, S onto his chest and his uh, the form that Fred Ray draws is superb. He's been doing cover artists for about a year covers for about a year now and doing a very good job of it and in that typical 1940s fashion the cover has nothing to do with the story inside so let's take a look at that okay our title character Superman the warm-up act for the vigilante of course uh, he's the professional baseball player that's the title of the character in a story by Jerry Siegel and Leo Newak. And apparently Lois and Clark uh, discover a young baseball player named Stan Doborak. And convinces Stan to go to Florida try out for the Metropolis Ravens. There's a gentleman out there in podcast land who I know keeps track of, uh, of professional baseball teams in comics. So uh, there's one for you, the Metro Ravens. And he gets his tryout. And, uh, of course, there's criminal shenanigans all involved. And, and, of course, all is well in the end. There. Why can't I do synopsis like that for Vigilante? Probably because I'm borrowing from Mike. Now we'll hear all about the Vigilante's feature, the man who came back in a few minutes. But well, we also have the three aces in the island where time stood still, Mr. America in blackmail, Congo Bill in the man of a thousand lives, and Zatara the magician in the case of the man who could not die. Are you sensing a theme here? 
the man who came back, the man of a thousand lives, the man who could not die, and the island where time stood still. But Superman's talking about baseball. We have more Henry Boltonoff uh, strips, humor strips, laughs, spelled L-A-F-F-Fs. All kinds of prizes you can get from eating popsicles, creamsicles, and fudgesicles. Such as a basketball. And if you eat that much creamsicles and fudgesicles, you better have a basketball. The three aces are at war in the Pacific. That's probably something I should cover at some point in time. Uh, my interest in the in the in the three aces. Oh, and they're on a jungle island with some very strange-looking native. Maybe I won't cover this. Uh, Mr. America's at war, uh, and of course there's blackmail, blackmail by foreign spies. I often wonder if there actually was as many foreign spies as we seem to catch up to in comics. Uh, more humor strips such as Rolling Stone. Well, we'll let that fade to black. And a very, very, speaking of fade to black, very, very, very unfortunate ad for World's Finest Comics featuring an African-American in uniform. Well, that's nice, except for the uh, depiction of the African-American, and I'll say no more about that. Uh, Congo Bill is uh, in the deserts of North Africa. Uh, we have another uh, humor strip called by from Henry Boltonoff called Silly Willy, and Silly Willy is a sailor getting a tattoo. So, and uh, more unfortunate racial stuff going on with Chief Hotfoot, and we're back to Zatera and the man who would not die, as Zatera helps the police round up an immortal villain or a seemingly immortal villain. We have ads for DC's 52-page quarterlies, Batman, Green Lantern, All-Star Comics, All-Flash, and, of course, Leading Comics. And we uh, close our comic with uh, the new Daisy Defender as Uncle Sam and a uniform-helmeted U.S. soldier tell you, young man, to uh, go out and get your new Daisy air rifle, that 1,000-shot military right model. And of course, get the also, you can get the famous Red Rider saddle card bean. And the Tootsie Roll of Honor. The Tootsie Roll ad also featuring Uncle Sam. And here you thought that guy only appeared in quality comics. And now to our second feature, Vigilante, the man who came back. Now, once again, we have our nebulous credits here. We have the circle that says Mort Morton. And the, uh, it, it, it's also added Cliff and Mort Morton. Cliff Young is going to be our anchor. I'll have more to say about him later on. And Mort Meskin, of course, is our penciler. But Mike's Amazing World has no credit for the writer or scripter on this story. So perhaps it's Mort Weisinger, of course, lending more fuel to my ad infinitum theory that Mort Morton is a combination of Mort Weisinger and Mort Meskin. I see no reason why not, um, other than there are some story beats that lead me to wonder... 
uh, about whether Weisinger's doing this uh, story or not, or perhaps he's just upping his game a little bit because, as I'm going to say in my comments after the drama, this story is a corker. Uh, Cliff Young, I guess I'll speak about him now, and then I'll speak about his work on this story later. My internet research hasn't brought up a lot about Cliff Young, other than the fact that, yes, he was indeed an artist for the entity of DC Comics in the years from April 1941 to spring 1945. And thank you, Mike, again for that information. He's got a lot of credit on a lot of uh, very remarkable DC Comics, including everything from... Uh, character called Larry Steele in Detective Comics. Uh, it's just one of, one of those generic characters that we had in uh, kind of prior to superheroes. Uh, he's on a lot of Justice Society work uh, as artist and penciler uh, um, in All-Star Comics, of course. Uh, and then he gets on to things such as uh, Vigilante and Johnny Quick, so he's He's uh, going over Mort Meskin quite a bit. And that might be one of the reasons, I think, why Johnny Quick looks so different uh, than Vigilante does, despite uh, Mort Meskin's presence in both. Uh, he does some work on Green Arrow over in More Fun Comics as well, and on the Star-Spangled Kid. And then he seems to disappear. His last work that we see is World's Finest Comic number 17, on a Star-Spangled Kid story, because the, the kid also had quarterly appearances in WF. Other than that, we, uh, we really don't know that much about uh, Cliff Young. So sit back and relax, and we'll hear the story of the vigilante and stuff in The Man Who Came Back, and I'll see you on the other side. The Vigilante by Cliff. And Mort Morton. He was a swell guy, said one man. He was a rat, said another. And both had the best of reasons for believing what they said about Jerry Harms on the day of his funeral. But the vigilante, that hard-fighting lawman who pits western wits and weapons against the cunning of big-town gunmen, happened to have an interest in the case. And it is the vigilante who brings back the true answer in the strange tale of the man who came back. Two pairs of eyes read one newspaper headline and see two separate meanings in their simple words. Extra in the Herald, Jerry Harms murdered. Alderman buried today. <sighs> Look at that headline. Poor old Jerry. He was a swell guy. You're wrong, stranger. Jerry Harms was a rat. Now listen, I won't have you saying that about him. Jerry saved my son from prison when he got mixed up with gangsters in Chinatown. Listen, if we can go somewhere for a cup of coffee... I can tell you plenty about Jerry Harms. Go ahead and talk, sir. But I warn you, you can't convince me. I think I can. 
Two strangers and the memory of a common acquaintance, now dead. Between them and one can see only the brighter side of the slain man, the other only the darker. But we are luckier, because as we listen to the elder man's strange tale, we can form a judgment of our own. It is a tale that carries us back to a ward politician's office, the office of Alderman Jerry Harms, in the teeming heart of Chinatown. Spud Corliss? To see me? Yes, Mr. Harms. That's the name he gave. Shall I show him in? Hmm. Wonder what he wants. Er, yes, Miss Frank. Show him in. Spud Gorless, boss of the biggest criminal gang in the district, enters with his chief lieutenant, Leo Sardi. To make it short and sweet, Alderman, me and Sardi here think you ought to quit needling the cops to stop crime in the first ward. How dare you suggest such a thing? We got here an affidavit that says you took dough for swinging a city contract. Sardi and me got the signatures ourselves, didn't we, Sardi? That's right, boss. It's a forgery. Forgery or not, it'll send you to prison. And where will your political career be then? He's right. If I don't do as he says, I'll be finished. But if I keep going up the ladder politically, I'll be big enough to crush Corliss and all gangsters like him. All right, Corliss, you win. I'll lay off you. If you don't, it'll be too bad. Eh, Sardi? That's right, boss. And so, as many another ambitious man had done, Jerry Harms, who sincerely wanted to be the people's friend, forgot his conscience for the sake of his career, and let us take a look at the result. Crime flares all across the Chinatown sector as Bud Carlos makes the most of his hold over arms. We're sure wiping out the Crimson Gang. Now Spud Gordon's holding everything. Gray bullets are wiping out innocent bystanders, too. I don't like it. Even young stuff. Small but courageous friend of the vigilante is touched by the spreading web of crime. Spud Corliss is letting me be a lookout for his stick-up game. Say, have you gone completely daffy, Pete Fly? <sighs> daffy nothing. We're knocking off the white front gambling joint tonight. Take my advice and don't do it, chum. You'll wind up peeking around the eight ball. The vigilante said to call up if I got a line on the Corliss business. I'll give the Prairie Troubadour a buzz. At the radio studio where Greg Saunders, the Prairie Troubadour, in reality the vigilante, is warbling cowboy songs. Sorry son, the Prairie Troubadour is on the air. But you can leave a message. Tell him to send the vigilante to the White Front Gambling House. There's gonna be... A heavy hand falls on the Chinatown kid's shoulder, and he faces... Spud Corliss. So, Pete Fly squealed to you, and you were gonna squeal to the vigilante. You're gonna bump him off, boss? 
Alan Vigilante. We'll hold him for bait. When the last mellow echo of the Prairie Troubadour's voice fades from the airwaves. And then the connection broke. But first I heard him yell Spud Corliss's name. Sounds like trouble, partner. Rick and I better tell the vigilante right off. Imagine an imitation cowboy like him knowing a real tough lawman like the vigilante. Saunders may be a softy, but he sure can sing those ballads of the plains. Minutes later, a snorting steed carries the troubadour in a new role. Through the dusk-filled streets. Come on, you gas-burning brump. I got a feeling the Chinatown kid has got himself in another jam. While in the Chinatown gambling joint, stand perfectly still and maybe we'll let you live. Nice game with plenty of bucks in it. Suddenly, Hey, Spud, the vigilante's coming around the corner this way. Shut up. Who you calling by name at a time like this? You blabbing got the vigilante here. Gee, I, I never thought. Spud, I, I, I mean... The minute he comes through that door, give him every slug you got. Or we won't miss. But as a hissing noise drives into the room behind the waiting killers... Oh, what's that? Sounds like... A split second later, a hurtling figure of vengeance rides like a thunderbolt into the room. Yippies! <laughs> feel like taking a hand in this gamble. Darvigilani! It is. Get him! I like the color of your nose, buddy. One on the red. And one on the black, which is the color your eyes are going to be. Take them off for me! Now, I'll deal you a hand, friend, and see who comes out on top. Cut it out, vigilante. I'll make it worth your while. You'll make it worth my while when I drag you to jail for shooting this boy. And when you hand over young stuff safe and sound. I'll, I'll do anything you say. The Chinatown kid's okay. He's over at my... Over where? Pronto! Oof. That'll hold him. Atta boy, Sardis. Let's beat it. Quick. When the bitter awakening comes... Hey, wake up, you masquerade party fiend. I say, it's the vigilante. And this is the kid they say acted as a lookout. And he's alive. Oh, that's right. They got clean away. And they have more hideouts than a pup has fleas. Oh, and they still got stuff. The rats... Wounding that poor kid, Pete, who didn't know what it was all about. I'll never stop hunting the gang that did it and kidnapped stuff. Next morning and there is yet another bitter awakening. You've got to do something, Alderman. Pete was always a good boy. But you know how crime has grown in this neighborhood. 
I know all right, Mr. Blight. I know who really is to blame, and I'll save your son from the penitentiary. I'll never forget it. And the district attorney's office. That's how it is, Mr. District Attorney. I consider myself responsible, and I'll take my medicine if you'll let that boy go. I'll let him go, Alderman, but I hope you realize this means the end of your career. This is a news bulletin. The astounding confession of Jerry Harms continues to rock the city. Police predict it will end the murderous reign of terror of the Spud Corliss gang for good. And in the Bly home... <laughs> I'll never do anything like that again! I hope you won't, son. Always remember that a very fine man sacrificed everything to save you. Terror spreads to the secret headquarters of an underworld czar. We got to shut Harms up before he speaks his piece in court. Rigo, you're my official pineapple tosser. I get it, Chief. A sinister bundle is carried into the office of the Broken Harms. Who are you? I gave orders not to be bothered. I brought you a present, Squealer. An instant later, a bomb. But you can't kill me. Not till I've sent your whole rotten gang to prison. An instant later, and so the funeral of Alderman Jerry Harms is held this day. When our two strangers, or are they really strangers? Sit talking about him over their coffee cups. So you see, Herms was still a rat when he died. And what he did for your son was only to ease his conscience. But I still think he was a swell. How do you know all this? Because I'm Jerry Harms. You must be crazy. Harms was blown to bits by that bomb. Nearby, a shadowy character eavesdrops behind a newspaper. You forget, Bly. There were two of us in that office. After I grabbed the bomb and tossed it back at Rigo and dropped behind my desk while they thought I was the dead body, I slipped out, dyed my mustache, and bought these glasses, decided to start life over with a new name. I won't give away your secret. Goodbye, and good luck. But what's this? A man at the next table lowers his newspaper and we see... It's the vigilante. Yes, Harms, and I want you. I was nearby when that bomb exploded. I saw a man who looked like you leave. I followed to make sure. But, great Scott, haven't I had enough trouble? You saved one boy from trouble, and now you've got to save another. Spud knows that you're alive because Rigo didn't come back, and you can locate him. <sighs> it will probably cost me my life, and for good this time, but I'll do it. A boy to be saved. And it's high time we found out how the rough-and-ready Chinatown kid is faring. 
boy, I can hardly wait till the vidge gets here. When he does, we won't be listening to your lip anymore. Try up, you two, till I answer the phone. Yes, yeah, Spike? You say you got harms in town? Sure. Bring him here, right away, but alone. I'll fix the squealer. Two figures, one grim and one hopeless, moves furtively through the dusk-filled streets. The hideout's just ahead, Mr. Harms. I'll be careful, Spike. The sap thinks he has a chance. While eyes that learn their keenness out on the sage-covered plains of the west follow their progress. The varmints are going into the cellar entrance of that house. Stairs weren't made for an hombre in as much of a hurry as I am. Giddy up, Brunk. It's roundup time in Chinatown. A race against death. A swift and sudden underworld death about to pounce in a dingy cellar. Spud, I came to see you. Look out, Harms. They're going to kill you. Take a good look, while you're able. I've stood all I'm going to from you, brat. Hey, don't take things so serious. Don't you dare hurt that boy, says you, Squealer. <coughs> a rending smash, an ear-splitting roar, and... I didn't take the time to knock. <coughs> But I'll do it now. Knock, knock. Who's there? I wish I wasn't. Ride him, Waddy. The thunder of a gun sends the masked lawman reeling backward. What? I suppose I pick on you for a change. But the vidge turns a complete backward somersault, and his spurred heels rake down the side of the bound stuff. Cut it out! I'm your pal, remember? Stunned by the fall, the vigilante seems doomed. Vigilante's through riding for good! You did cut it, Vig. My ropes. Here I come, Sardy. I've been waiting a long time for this pleasure. Come on, we'll take the secret of tunnels. Uh, well, let's beat it while we can't. This pair is too dangerous. Wake up, Veg. They're getting away. Huh? Which way did they go? Well, here we go, hunting coyotes. Don't compliment them, Veg. Coyotes ain't so bad. The beam of a headlight stabs through the mysterious twisting tunnels beneath old Chinatown. Right you are. And a tornado bursts among the fleeing crooks. Got him on the fly. Just like shooting buzzards. I got him, Stuff. I gotta have some fun too, don't I? End up the trail for the gang of renegades. Step lively. Hip hip. Oh, what a disgrace. And I never killed nobody, hardly ever. As for Jerry Harms... Not dead, but near it. 
We'll have to rush him to a hospital. He got shot saving my life. Right out, let me really die this time. I deserve it. I'll see that you get what you deserve, Mr. Harms. The following day, in a hospital room, You've come to take me to prison, Mr. District Attorney? Not today, Alderman. You're a hero. The vigilante told reporters how you sacrificed your career for one boy and nearly gave your life for another. Now you can run for mayor. You won't be needing another funeral for a long time. A new chance. Gentlemen, whatever office I may hold, my first job will always be to crush crime. Days later... Golly, things are quiet around here lately. What's a guy gonna do for excitement? Don't you think you've had enough excitement for a while? But there are more riding, roping, rollicking adventures in the next issue of Action Comics. Save for yourself. Well, let's take a little break for Greg Saunders' Rodeo Radio. Now, as I will probably reiterate at some point in the time, I'm, I'm recording this actually the day after Christmas Day, uh, what we call Boxing Day in Canada, De December 26th, an old holdover from our British colonial uh, partners, shall we say, or masters, overlords, how you want to say. Um, but I did actually record the drama before Christmas, so um, I thought I wanted to, I, I was hoping to actually get this out be, by the time of Christmas Eve, so I had a thought of uh, putting a Christmas song in there. Then I thought, well, maybe I better put something else in. Then I thought, ah, oh, what the heck. You're still going to be hearing this somewhere in the winter season, and it's just a great tune, I think, at any time of the year. Uh, it's a traditional uh western ballad called the cowboy christmas ball and it's done by michael martin murphy and if you remember back in the 70s uh, he was probably thought of as a one-hit wonder with a song called wildfire but that was on the pop charts uh he has continued to uh work in the country music industry through the 1980s and uh moved off into the americana part of the uh doing cowboy and western ballads and that sort of thing had a number of albums out through the 1990s reinterpreting a lot of uh, western songs gunfighter ballads that sort of a thing uh, so this is a very fun uh, polka-esque sort of a a tune he also has some guests on here that also work in that same genre uh, Don Edwards uh, Riders in the Sky and Susie Boggess uh, who are also, uh, Su who Susie Boggess also being uh, a holdover from country music and apparently on standard mainstream country charts, I think once you get to be about 30 years old, you're uh, shuffled off into the, uh, the ether and if you're smart, you reinvent yourself and the, uh, the genre of Americana is a place where a lot of people do find themselves and that's great because that seems to be where I seems to be my uh even though i love rock and roll and i do love pop and that sort of a th the western american genre uh americana genre rather really sort of speaks to my 
personal philosophies and sort of in the in the area of where I grew up. So um, here is the Cowboy Christmas Ball. Way out in West Texas where the Clear Fork waters flow where the cattle are browsing and the Spanish ponies grow where the northers come a-whistling and the old dust devils roll and the prairie dogs are sneezing and freezing from the cold where the lonesome tawny prairies melt into the airy streams and the double mountains slumber in the heavenly kind of dreams where the antelope are grazing and the lonesome plovers call it was there that i attended the cowboy christmas ball the music was a fiddle and a lively tambourine and a big bass violin ported by stage from Abilene. Now the room was togged out gorgeous with mistletoe and shawls, and the candles flickered frescoes all around them merry walls. Where the women folk looked lonely and the boys looked kind of free, till the leader commenced to yell out, Hey boys, let's all stampede! And the music started sighing and a wailing through the hall. It's a kind of was a feller that come from Swenson's ranch. Yep, they called him Wendy Bill from Little Dead Man's Branch. When he commenced to holler, Now fellas, stake your pants, lock horns with all them heifers, and wrestle them just like men. Salute them lovely critters, now swing them and let them go. And climb the grapevine round and round, now hands all do-si-do. You mavericks join the roundup, just skip the waterfall. Boy, it was getting active at the Cowboy Christmas Ball. Boys were tolerable skittish, and the ladies powerful neat. That old bass violin music made us jump in with both feet. That wailing frisky fiddle I never will forget. And Wendy Bill kept singing, and I believe I hear him yet. Oh, yes, boys chasing them squirrels, cut up to the side. Doc Hollis to the center, oh, now Crosby Charlie's bride. Her round, you get old kittens, now rope and balance all. Oh. Hey, it was getting happy at the Cowboy Christmas Ball. The dust rose fast and furious, and we all just galloped around. Till the scenery got so giddy. That Z-Bar Dick went down. We buckled to our partners and told them to hold on and shook our hooves like lightning until the early dawn. Don't tell me about cotillions or polkas, no siree. That world in Manson City, it takes the cake from me. Oh, Bill, I won't forget you, and I often will recall that lively gated soiree called the Cowboy Christmas Ball. Oh, no, I won't forget it. The Cowboy Christmas Ball. Okay, now my notes on uh, this story. The Vigilante, the man who came back from Action Comics number 50. Um, 
we start out with the typical splash page. It's a 12-page story, by the way, and uh, that's important, actually, by the way. The splash page is very good, and what's interesting is uh, in the past, we've seen from Mort Meskin a lot of splash pages designed as symbolic. Um, this one is not symbolic. In fact, this is an actual scene that could have been plunked within the story at that certain point. It's uh, Vigilante on his motorbike, his gas-eating broke. He's crashing through a door, and he's being shot at. And um, I think this is probably, we've seen Vig on the bike before, but usually he's borrowing one, stealing one, begging one. And um, I think this is one is he's, he's actually got a, a motorcycle to call his own right now. It's certainly not the rocket cycle that we'd see later on after 1950 and a far cry from the Electroguide Harley of the 1970s. But he's using this motorcycle as a weapon. Oh, and by the way, speaking of weapons, even though he's carrying his six-gun rig, uh, spoilers, by the way, he uh, never pulls those six guns in this story. But uh, as we will see in a lot of stories, he uses this motorcycle as a blunt instrument as much as he does his own fists or the rope or his magic spurs as we're beginning to buy itself. Um, in the splash page is a couple of things that we need to talk about. Usually you see this by Mort Morton Jr. Yes, you've heard me say this before. Um... You know, I believe that Mort Morton is the composite name of Mort and Weisinger and Mort Maskin, yada yada. Uh, this one has Cliff's name in it, and so Cliff Young is getting an actual credit, if not his full name. So, uh, you know, props to Whit Ellsworth and to everybody that is actually putting credits on these pages. Uh, because that's not something you see much in the Golden Age, except for Bob Kane, and uh, we know the reasons for that. There's also a nice little thing we talked about, uh, the Superman by stamps and bonds on the cover. Well, we see it again here on this splash page. Uh, the comic books are pulling out all stops to uh, in the war effort to try to promote the uh, the sale of stamps and bonds which in fact is how the United States financed its uh, war in the Pacific and against Germany uh, I guess I'll talk about uh, Cliff Young to begin with some people don't like what Cliff did in this story when you see things online Oh, people online don't like things. Um, shock, shock. Uh, they they seem to like Mort Morton's chaotic style. I don't think it takes away from uh, Mort's chaotic style, which is always very good. I think uh, what it does do is sort of cleans up things. It cleans up his faces. You start to see more distinctive faces and figures. Which is, uh, you know, as we know, is a very difficult thing to do. I grew up with Dick Dillon, and uh, as much as I always loved Dick Dillon's Justice League stories, every character had the same physique and the same face, and it, it's a hard thing to do. 
uh, the best among us have that issues. Even John Byrne and and the estimable and the and the great George Perez have uh, sometimes difficulty, you know, differentiating faces and things like that. Um, so Cliff does, I think he takes away from a lot of the uh, the busyness, and uh, not to the point of erasing it, a la Vince Coletta, but he takes away a lot of the busyness out of the story. The story itself is going to be different, and this is why I'm not entirely clear 100% whether Mort Weisinger is scripting this at all or has just plotted it and allowed Meskin and Young to carry on, say Marvel style, just because it's different. Uh, we've seen a formula, you know, in our stories that we've covered over the last year here in Vigilante Comics. And uh, now by May of 1942, we're starting to see something a little bit different here. Uh, we, we've got a plot that's much different. Uh, it's not the old... Uh, formula of you know bad guy happens somebody beats up stuff and stuff phones greg saunders vigilante shows up we get a death trap and a final fight um, things are going to work out a little bit different and we start out with a very strange thing uh we've got a new in the corner of the splash page we see a newspaper and we see the shadow of two hats so obviously the two people are, are reading the same newspaper at a stand, a street-side stand. Someday I'd like to see a street-side newsstand. I don't think I've ever seen one in my life. Uh, anyway, the two people uh, don't seem to recognize each other. That's going to be a, a talking point later on. Uh, they're all reading the same newspaper article about the uh, murder of Alderman Jerry Harms, apparently a New York City alderman uh, responsible for the ward of that includes China, the Chinatown district of New York. And uh, they get into an argument over the public image of this Jerry Harms character. Anytime someone, um, celebrity dies, or usually a politician, a president, that sort of a thing, you see this thing happen. Some people want to come out and extol the virtues and pay respects. Other people just want to say, may that, may that guy burn in hell. And that's what's happening between these two gentlemen. And But they decide they want to go and uh, have a coffee and hash this out. And we've never seen this before. Uh, we get into a flashback sequence. As the older man with, uh, with kind of a jowly sort of a character and a very dark mustache, dark glasses and a hat, uh, he starts to tell the other stranger about his experience with Jerry Harms. And Jerry Harms, as he said, is a ward alderman, and uh, he's in his office one day. The secretary lets in two very sketchy-looking people, and one happens to be a local crime boss and his lieutenant. And the crime boss is Spud Corliss, and his lieutenant is Leo Sardi. Spud Corliss, if you know the, uh, the television show Star Trek Deep Space Nine... 
Mark Alimo, who played Gull Ducat in that. If you ever see Mark Alimo without his makeup, like you see time to time in that show, Mark Alimo could play this character. Uh, the lieutenant is a very simian-looking uh, sort, both with cigarettes uh, sticking out of their mouths, so you know they're bad guys. And basically they're trying to blackmail Harms, and they're successful at it. Uh, Harms apparently has been mounting a campaign against criminals, and they blackmail him with forged documents that accuse the counselor of uh, swinging contracts in favor of political friends. Harms knows that there is no such document, but he decides to go along with the thing because he wants to climb up the ladder politically in order to be able to crush uh, Spud Corliss from a higher office, possibly the mayor's office. So Corliss uh, basically caves to the man and agrees to uh, to lower his influence against the uh, criminal activity in Chinatown, which leads to a great big shootout, which Corliss's gang takes out uh, a rival operation called the Crimson Gang. Now, before, before we go further, I have to speak to also the constructiveness of the story. Lately, the last couple of uh, stories, I've been kind of complaining that Mort Meskin seems to be being stuffed um, into a smaller bag. They, they would have been doing 13 or 14 page stories and then all of a sudden um, the editor has given them only 12 pages to work with which has led to a lot of busyness and clutter inside Meskin's pages. Um, this story is a lot better constructed. They're doing a lot better work with the territory. And uh, Meskin seems to be able to expand his uh, his panel count. It's still based on the nine-panel grid. But he just, uh, he does more with less, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think we're becoming, getting a better storytelling element out of it. And I can't help but think that the uh, the influence of Cliff Davis or maybe just more attention from the scripter, whether it's Weisinger himself or Meskin uh, contributing to it, is uh, allowing Mort to work within limitations a lot better. He's sort of not going wild off the corners. The lettering is very, very good as well. Um, I've had some complaints um, in the past about being able the uh, lettering being legible, even discounting the, the standards of how what an old comic it is. Now, after the uh, the fall of the Crimson Gang, um, we see uh, a young Irish-looking lad, let's say uh, Jimmy Olsen wearing a Newsboy Legion hat, with and you know that he's up to no good because he's got a cigarette stuck in his face. Well, darn Spud Corliss has got him under the weed habit. And he's talking to stuff. Probably a good time to start a column here about what is stuff wearing. And he's got a turtleneck on, kind of sort of a striped turtleneck, even though it's only one color. It's all red. And he's got a nice big S, sort of an athletic letter on the front of him, which I guess stands for stuff. Maybe he was looking at that Superman uh, logo on the cover and decided to give himself his own logo. 
He's not wearing a hat. And he's wearing white shorts this time. So he's getting himself color coordinated. Uh, I don't know if I'd wear white shorts, but you know what? Stuff, you do you. And uh, this boy, uh, Jimmy Olsen type lad, is Pete Bly. And Pete Bly is bragging to stuff about how he got a job. And he's uh, working for Spud Corliss. He's the lookout man. And uh, Pete's not a very good lookout man because he's not looking out for himself because he blabs to stuff all about a raid on a gambling joint. Well, that sends stuff to the nearest phone booth because he's going to need to talk to Greg so that Greg can tell the vigilante to uh, to deal with this situation. And remember, we're still where stuff doesn't know Greg is the vigilante. In the words of Michael Bailey, because comics. Well, Spud gets through to the radio station, but he's cut off. Spud Corliss himself grabs stuff and kidnaps him. The uh, radio producer on the other end tells Greg Saunders all about the call after he's done recording his radio show. And Greg immediately switches to his vigilante gear and fires up that gas-eating bronc, as he calls it. I like that he uh, calls it a gas-eating bronc. Got a little better sound to it than uh, Vigicycle. And since we've given stuff a fashion alert, let's give one to Vig as well. What color is Vigilani's hat? Today, Vigilani is wearing a tan hat, which sort of come across in the coloring palette, in the four-color coloring palette, as a very mild orange. And this is probably as good a time as any to recognize Mrs. Ranger. Yes, Rose Tolton, my long-suffering wife, who has a hobby of seamstressing and creating clothes, a lot of which I wear. What else would you do with your clothes? But I, I tend to like the clothes she wears. And this Christmas morn, she surprised me with a blue vigilante cavalry-style bib front shirt. So shout out to Rose on this, on this podcast today. Meanwhile, in the Chinatown gambling joint, Spud Corliss and his gang show up in masks. I love this. Spud Corliss is supposed to be the, uh, the new empresario of Chinatown, but they show up in masks. And they don't show up and demand money, a la Godfather. They show up with guns and basically are going to rob it. I guess Spud just isn't that bright. And we're going to find out about that. Pete Bly, of course, has done the, uh, is being the lookout for this, watching out for police. And he comes in and yells out that the vigilante's coming. Spud. Remember, they're wearing masks. Uh, Spud is not very pleased about being ID'd by, by one of his own men and gives him a bullet in the shoulder for his trouble. Well, when the vigilante shows up, that doesn't make him very happy about it. 
He swings in uh, from his uh, lariat uh, from above, from a light standard. Gives both uh, Spud and uh, Leo uh, what we should only call a Spud on the cheeks. And uh, pretty much takes him down, hands down, without even pulling his gun. Good man, Ridge. But Leo manages to get the drop out of him and blocks him over the head with a Thompson submachine gun, knocking that orange hat to the floor. But Spud doesn't put him in a death trap. He's not one of our regular costume supervillains that we've had. The Corliss gang leave Vigilante on the floor for his discovery by the police, who also take the wounded Pete Bly into custody. We cut back to the office of Jerry Harms, where a very familiar face is talking to Alderman Harms about uh, the plight of his son. And that, of course, is Mr. Bly. And this is where I can probably reveal, got to reveal it somewhere, and I don't know if the story does as good a job of, with about it. This Mr. Bly and Mr. Harms are both the men who stared at the newspaper at the beginning of the story. So they have met before, but they didn't recognize each other, even as they sat across the coffee table from each other at the... Uh, as I said at the beginning of the story. Very interesting. Uh, but now, of course, Mr. Bly is talking to an alderman. He's not talking to some guy on the street. And Harms basically comes clean that says, I'll save your son from the penitentiary. I'm going to uh, cut a deal with the district attorney and uh, turn state's evidence against Spud Corliss and let the chips fall where they may. The district attorney agrees to it, um, and but uh, does unfortunately say that this is the end of his career. And we go back to the radio station as the confession of Jerry Harms is announced, as is the, the termination of probably the eventual end of the Spud Corliss gang. And now we have a tender moment of Pete Bly, his arm in a sling, along with his dad, uh, basically talking about uh, the Pete, Pete has basically reached in his nadir, his, um, has confessed to his, the, the crime, and his dad tells him, goes, I hope you remember this lesson, son, because a very good man has lost his career to save you. Well, who is not impressed is Spud Corliss, who engages Rigo his official top pineapple tosser. And of course we know what that means. That's his, that's the bomb expert of the gang. Rigo also confronts Mr. Harms in his office, tosses a package at him, and we hear an explosion. Now the text boxes reveal that Jerry Harms was killed in the explosion, and we're back to our our coffee table. The two strangers. Are they really strangers? Well, of course not. And this is when Bly and Harms finally reveal themselves to each other. And Harms reveals that he was not killed in the blast, 
that he used Rigo's body uh, to fake his own death and has dyed his mustache and has basically taken disguise and this is why Bly has not recognized him. I find this a little bit, uh, I, I don't know, Mr. Bly I guess has been very stressed over the few days. Uh, he extolled the virtues of harms upon his death but then didn't even recognize that he was talking to the man himself. And I guess I suppose if you expected that he was dead and there was a kind of disguise and maybe if you've only met him the one time, I guess you could probably uh, make that error. I know I've had a, t a few times where I have a certain picture in my mind's eye of somebody I know. I see them after a while and I don't recognize them. Now somebody else has been... Uh, in on this meeting hiding behind a newspaper and as Mr. Bly puts his hat on and walks away Harms recognizes that the vigilante has been listening to the whole thing and that Vig heard that the bomb exploded and realized that Harms was uh, had snuck out and left uh, Rigo to take his place in the casket now Harms is trying to wiggle out of this, but Vigilante has a little bit of problem. He realizes that stuff has also been is still being kidnapped and still being held by the Corliss gang. So he shames Harms into revealing himself, which will expose Corliss and bring him out into the open. And naturally that happens, the phone rings at the Corliss gang's place and Harms comes clean and is willing to come in and surrender himself in exchange for the release of stuff. Now thanks to Bronk the motorcycle, Vigilante is also finds him his way to the hideout by following Harms as he is uh, led by one of the gang members to the, uh, to the site of the exchange. As Harms enters the meeting, Corliss minces few words and shoots Harms. About that time, Vigilante comes in a la our splash page, busting in through the door on the motorcycle and jumping off and um, just taking a round out of the entire gang. But once again, he's surprised, and it's not clear whether he's been shot or whether he's just bowled over by the concussion of a shotgun. I suspect it's the concussion. And as Vigilante comes down, he takes those spurs. Hello, Dave McElvaney, this is your spur moment. And he manages to cut uh, stuff loose, even as he himself goes, goes unconscious onto the floor. Poor Vig, this is his second concussion in five pages. I think there needs to be a, re uh, a union for superheroes and... Uh, how many blows on the head they tend to take in these Golden Age comics. Uh, Stuff manages to free himself from his bonds, takes a round out of, uh, takes a round out of Leo, who has been slapping him around for uh, entirely too long. Vidge recovers, both of them get back onto the bike, uh, and then they go underground into the tunnels beneath Old Chinatown. Now, they don't give talk too much about this tunnel situation, but uh, there's a place uh, not too far away from where I live in a, a town that 
actually it's a city called Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Okay, stop your laughing about Canadians. Yes, I know it's called Moose Jaw. But it's actually a modern city and it's got a quite the uh, the history. Uh, it's a railroad town in uh, in prairie country in southern Saskatchewan up against the uh, Montana-North Dakota border. And uh, in the days of Chinese immigration um, and as, as railroad workers were settling into Western Canada, the Chinese people were hiding in these tunnels beneath this city in order to not uh, to have to pay what they called a, a, a racist head tax and also to try to elude authorities that wanted to deport them back to China. And these tunnels also um, have a relationship to the Prohibition era of Saskatchewan, you know, post-World War I, 1920s era, in which even Al Capone is rumored to have come out from Chicago to, to hide out and do uh, Prohibition era business with the Bromfman family in Saskatchewan. Uh, who were supplying liquor down into uh, Chicago during the, the, the days of uh, ah, the Volstead Act. I almost said the Mann Act, but the Volstead Act, so in the 1920s and 30s. And these tunnels still exist under the city of Moose Jaw. They go right under the streets from building, one building to another. To, uh, from, uh, and uh, you can actually take tours of this place so if you're ever driving through Moose Jaw Saskatchewan and I know all of you Americans always do it's an interesting place to try to go in and see the tunnels of Moose Jaw and um, it, it, it's a it's an interesting tourism exhibit that's all I have to say anyway back to our story on the tunnels uh, we come out of the tunnels and vidge and stuff uh, make light of the, the Corliss gang again with their two fists. And as we head into our final page, uh, Vidge finally gets a, a good knock against Leo Corliss, who proved, or sorry, Spud Corliss, who proves to be really nothing more than a bully. He basically caves to a cheap suit, like a cheap suit, once you give him a little bit of force back. So he's not a very good mobster. He was an ambitious but uh, they quickly uh, submit, and they're led out of the tunnel. Um, Harms realizes he might die, but Vidge gets him to the hospital, uh, arranges a meeting with the district attorney, and they gave the... Uh, Harms tells his story to the reporters uh, about the falsification of his death and the blackmail that Corliss was putting him under and vows that when he get, ever gets into another office, his first job will be to crush crime. So that's kind of the story of how uh, a politician, uh, you know, perhaps with a, not the, uh, the standard backbone that you might expect from a crusading district attorney, but he does manage to redeem himself. And... I think that's why this is just a great story. It's uh, it's not only just the redemption of Harms, and Har Harms is really the lead character in this story. Vidge and Stuff themselves really are just uh, almost supporting characters advancing the story as it comes along. So that's uh, 
I think the probably story-wise, uh, as far as quality, that has been the best uh, uh, addition of the Vigilante that we have seen up to this point in time, uh, back since September of 1941. And, um, you know, we're into our, probably our seventh or eighth edition of the Vigilante, plus his adventures with the Seven Soldiers. So I think that's saying a lot, and I think this story will probably stand out. I'm not a raider. I'm not the sort of a person who sits down and gives letter grades or tries to stack one story up against another. That's I'm a terrible critic in that way. I just kind of like to call them as I see them. I either like a story or hate a story. And for me to rate a story, I have to either really hate it or really like it. And I really enjoyed this story. So this is probably one of the the top vigilante stories that I've ever read. A Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders vigilante podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just love saying that. And now your feedback uh, on episode 18, which was covered Action Comics 49 in the vigilante story, The Rainbow Man. And of course, we start with shocking regularity from the Prince of Pennsylvania postcard distribution, Dave McElvaney. Greetings, Ranger Gord. It's great as always to hear you in my earbuds. Of course, your vocal stylings enhance the story, as do your musical choices. I must say I was very happy to hear Jumpin' at the Woodside, because when I was a young lad, that song would come on the radio, and my parents would talk about the fun times of their own youths going to Woodside Park, an amusement park in Philadelphia that closed shortly before I was born. The song has really nothing to do with the park, other than to spur memories, and what young kid, not teenager probably, doesn't enjoy their parents, hearing their parents reminisce about their own youth. All your choices brought me smiles, even the one that was new to me, Larry Gatlin's Ode to the Road. Uh, to tell you the truth, Dave, uh, I think you and I are probably on the same wavelength. I actually do enjoy listening to my parents' music, and uh, I think even as a kid, I... I really appreciated listening to everything from old-time country music, uh, Hank Williams, Jimmy Rogers, that sort of thing, which would have been my dad's choices, um, to my mom's choices of uh, the big band era and even the crooners. There's a few things, of course, that didn't quite translate to me, but did years later. As a kid, I just hated that Rat Pack era, that Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, but I truly appreciate it now. Uh, back to Dave's letter, the story was fun too, especially since it brought back a villain who'd confronted Vigilante before. As always, some of his color choices seemed a bit odd. Painting the searchlights black seems a bit silly since not only someone would likely notice that, unless was, it was Vanta Black, which didn't exist back in 1942. I can't imagine it would have completely blacked out the lights. Of course, comic book physics eliminates that little plot hole, of course, because comics. You called me out by name at one point asking if Gray, G-R-A-Y, or G-R-E-Y, if you prefer, is really a color, C-O-L-O-R, or the Canadian spelling of C-O-L-O-U-R. I'm certainly no expert, but I consider it Gray to be a color since... One can find many shades of gray as a color of paint, 
or for that matter, in my hair, but I won't pretend that's a definitive rule for everyone. Um, on the matter of the uh, spelling of gray, um, even here in Canada where we use, still use the old British spellings, gray as a color is still spelled in uh, the Canadian Oxford as G-R-A-Y. G-R-E-Y stands for, well, I guess I would have to say one of the Governor Generals of Canada, a man named Earl Grey. Yes, not Earl Grey, T, Earl Grey, hot. Who uh, also contributed the Grey Cup, which is the championship trophy of the Canadian Football League. Uh, color, uh, you know, every, people tend to go back and forth on this side of the line, whether they use the R or not. Those that like to try to stand out and against being a, a uh, not using American spellings, like to punch that U in there just to feel superior. Um, personally, I have wrote, uh, you know, uh, commercially on both sides of the line, and I usually just think about whatever market I'm I'm heading to. If I'm uh, writing for Canadians, I'll use the U's, and if I'm uh, writing for the uh, Yank side of the line, I'll use, I won't use a U. Uh, back to Dave again. I was happy to note that Vidj once again used his spurs to get himself out of a predicament. Thank heavens the villains never think to remove those spurs. I think if I'd been alive and reading those stories in the 1940s, I'd have gotten a pair of spurs and worn them everywhere just in case. Of course, as an ancient one hearing these stories in the 21st century, I have to wonder if the spurs were fashioned from adamantium. Yes, I know that's Marvel and much later, but still. But you bring up a choice. Uh, Greg Saunders sure seems to put his weight on those spurs an awful lot. And uh, as, a, as a guy who's, uh, who works with artifacts in a museum in a ranching country, I see a lot of spurs. And uh, I don't see a lot of metal spurs that can persistently stand up to a 180-pound uh, man weight uh, over a period of time. Um, I've got a pair hanging over the wall that I just know that if I pulled some of the things that Greg Saunders does, like uh, digging into a brick wall or digging into a a uh, power pole, that uh, those things would bend, and I'd probably be down on the floor on on the floor or on the ground on my ass. Back to David again. Uh, it certainly sounds like you've had a busy time this year during COVID. As I often say to podcasters who lament the interference of real life to their podcasts, as if podcasts aren't part of real life, it's your podcast, your schedule, and your priorities. Release episodes when you can or wish to. Your listeners will understand and be happy whenever a new episode appears. Um, thank you, and I appreciate that understanding. Um, there are podcasters that do need to be on a schedule um, for whatever reason. They're monetizing their podcasts, and I appreciate that. Personally, myself, this is a uh, this is a labor of love. I'm not, as I seem to have found in most of my life, I rarely make choices that are ever going to uh, put me uh, to to the point where banks are phoning me. Uh, for the other reasons and not that reason. So, uh, yes, um, I will get them out on uh, whenever I can. And, uh, of course, with the advent of winter coming, hopefully I'll have a, a few snowy, uh, icy days where 
I just uh, leave the vehicle in the parking lot and I can come down here and perhaps do some podcasting. Um, and Dave just closes with uh, agreeing with me on the, the flag display protocols, which were an issue at the end of the vigilante story. Live long and prosper, Dave McIlvady. Uh, thank you very much, Dave. Yeah, a few notes from Twitter. Um, I I have a trouble keeping up to all of these Twitter feeds. As I've said, the, you get a lot of followers, and I have trouble grabbing all of the notes and uh, finding everybody who has said something about uh, uh, Prairie Justice, even though there's, I'm sure there's a, a way of doing it, a fairly easy way of doing it. Just a few th- ones. Uh, good old Martin Gray. And says, if you've not tried the At Tolton Gourd Show, give it a go. And, of course, he's speaking about Prairie Justice from the Twitter feed. From the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, which, of course, is the Professor Alan Middleton. And he says, good episode, much enjoyed. Well, much appreciated, old lordly one. And from Max Traver, Max reads comics and also host of the Weird Warriors podcast. I got a lot of shows in my queue, but you all should go listen to this right now. Giddy up. Thank you, Max. And from Billy Delicious and Herman Lowe, who host, I believe, collectively about 217 separate podcasts, most of them coming out weekly, on uh, one of those casts, and I believe this was the Infinity Inc. One Star Rocket Radio, uh, Billy D. was kind enough to come out and uh, put Prairie Justice into one of his podcast spotlights. So thank you very much for Herman and Billy. And gosh, if, if you've never heard any of these 217 podcasts, pick one of them up. It, it just doesn't matter which one. They're just, they're just great. And a pair of guys that just have a great love of comics and apparently uh, an unlimited amount of time. And thank you to all who liked and Twittered Prairie Justice on either Twitter or Facebook. And that's all the uh, feeds that I'm going to be going to right now. Uh, Quite frankly, that's just enough as far as social media is concerned. And some days I really wish I didn't do any of them. But it is gratifying that uh, there are good friends to find on those feeds. And it's gratifying to have good interactions with them. And try to stay away from anything involving politics or current affairs. Because everybody's got an opinion. And that's great. But some of them aren't very informed. So that'll do it for Prairie Justice. As I speak here today, it is December 26, 2021. Uh, we've survived another Christmas beside the Spite Omnicrom uh, Gigantron or whatever it's called. And uh, I don't think that virus is going to last long here in southern Alberta because we're looking at an average of minus 35 Celsius this week. So uh, a happy frozen new year to all across North America and hopefully a less frozen new year than we're experiencing here in uh, western Canada on the northern plains. Uh, Just an ending note, I was feeling a little bit bad in the last month or so. I just haven't been able to get up to the pods here to to finish this episode or to get many more episodes out before the end of the year. But then I went back and looked at my uh, queue 
and what has been accomplished in the last year. And I believe I did actually start this podcast on Boxing Day of 2021. And um, with a couple of promos, we have produced, uh, and with this episode, 23 segments of Prairie Justice. And uh, I think for a beginning comic book podcaster, I think I've done well. I've got well over 100 over on my Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village uh, Radio KBPV podcast. So uh, I might be getting the swing of things. Um, You know, as Dave McIlvaney said, uh, we'll get these out when we can. And, uh, of course, uh, upcoming it will be episode 20, uh, which is Action 51. And then we're back into Leading Comics 3, so you get seven episodes in a row on that one. And um, hopefully we'll start to get some production going on that here over the Christmas break. And I'm not going to promise when any of those episodes are going to come out. But uh, The Leading Comics number 3 is going to have a surprise. Our first guest. Won't say what that is. So, um, Happy New Year, y'all. And uh, from here in sunny southern and frigid southern Alberta... Yes, we can be sunny and frigid at the same time. Uh, Best of the wishes, best of the holidays, and hopefully uh, we will be coming out of this disease and won't be talking about Omicrons or Deltas or anything else involved with a viral number at the end of 2022. Bye for now. In the corner of a dark bar room Said an old cowboy singing western tunes Singing songs that he learned as a child All about the west back when it was wild So long partners, you've been listening to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast All materials used in Prairie Justice are believed to be of fair use and remain the copyright of all copyright holders. Stories, images, and the character of Greg Saunders, the Vigilante, and all other characters used are the property of DC Comics and DC Entertainment. Feedback for Prairie Justice can be left on Facebook under the name Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. Email go to vigilantecast at gmail.com website is www.rangergordsroundup all one word at dot wordpress.com and we sure hope to see you all back again for another ride with the cowboy crusader vaya con dios compadres eh cause he's the last of a singing cowboy